In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our series, Life, the Islamic Answer where we are trying to extrapolate the principles of living Islamically in this complex world. We were exploring the theme of knowledge in Islam and we were discussing specifically what it means at this point to be a learner. We are at this point in our study where we are starting to look at the specific instructions in Islam or what we called the ingredients of being an exemplary learner, an exemplary student, an exemplary uh, seeker of knowledge in Islam. And we said that these uh, instructions, that these teachings, Islamic teachings, they happen to be very concrete and very practical. We already uh, looked at a number of them. So very quickly, we looked at the importance of uh, being dedicated uh, when we study uh, and when we seek knowledge, the importance of what we call dedication. Um, and of course, this has to do with energy. This has to do with focus. It has to do with uh, time management. And we said that the issue of time management is extremely important uh, in Islam. Uh, when we talked about um, dedication, we also mentioned uh, the importance, for instance, of uh, having the resilience and having the patience to acquire true specialization uh, and staying the course uh, and respecting expertise. And we talked a little bit about how in this culture of ours today, uh, there is a phenomenon that has been referred to as the death of expertise that we want to avoid uh, at all costs so that we uh, do not become of those who only gain a superficial uh, understanding of whatever we are uh, trying to understand. Um, in there, we also talked about the importance of prioritization, the importance of balancing, uh, because we said when we seek knowledge, when we uh, become a learner in Islam, obviously this is not the only dimension in our life. Uh, this is part of everything else going on. Uh, and so this must be properly prioritized, properly balanced with everything else happening in our lives. Uh, and uh, yeah, as we mentioned, uh, the importance of focus and the importance of uh, time management. And this was definitely one of the running themes uh, that we're going to come back to again uh, with regards to the importance of these ingredients of becoming a learner in Islam. There was another quick discussion that we had about the second main ingredient and this one had to do with trying to gain a deeper understanding in religion and not being content and not being satisfied with the superficial understanding of what we are learning, right? So we must always aim for a deeper understanding, go to the bottom uh, of things and not be contented with uh, just the first layer, the superficial understanding. 
Um, and in there we saw, and today inshallah, we're going to look at more hadith related to this importance of uh, constantly, not only learning, but going further in our learning so that we review and we discuss and we reflect on what we have learned. And part of this is also at the collective level. So you're not doing this alone. You're doing this with someone. You're discussing what you're learning. You're questioning and criticizing and making sure that you truly understand by doing this exercise with uh, other people. Okay, and we called a lot of this, uh, as well as the next point in mudakara, uh, we refer to it as this serious study. Uh, it's not enough to just do kind of a quick canvassing of a topic. It does require a serious studying. It does require resilience and it requires an attitude that we are, uh, what we are learning is going to be um, always uh, insufficient, right? That you never get uh, into a mode of thinking, into a state where you think that you have learned everything there is about any given topic, that you are always in a mode of looking at everything else uh, that is still remains uh, to be learned, as opposed to focusing on uh, what you have already learned. Okay, uh, and so in there we talked about the importance of continuously having a desire, a passion, an interest for the knowledge itself, uh, and also uh, being regular, being consistent in our study, in our exploration of uh, knowledge. Uh, and then, of course, related to this mudakala, to this serious studying, uh, in addition to, of course, thinking, memorizing, discussing, trying to solve problems. Um, we talked about some of the benefits of reflecting on what you have already learned uh, so that you go deeper in your understanding, but it also allows you to see things that you had not even uh, understood prior to that. Uh, and uh, we ended by uh, highlighting perhaps uh, a point in our communities specifically, uh, which is that we often see a certain level of knowledge, a certain level of understanding, but the truth is in a lot of cases, uh, it may be a superficial uh, understanding and what is required is a much deeper understanding. And so this is what's missing. But as we saw in the hadith of Imam Ali السلام, and others, we saw that in order to achieve that deeper understanding, what's required, of course, is going to be uh, a resilient, continuous, uh, studying, hard work, uh, and this is of course not something that everyone uh, is willingly uh, jumping into. So inshallah, this is a very quick recap of what we talked about and we want to build on that today. So we're continuing with these, what we call the practical teachings of becoming a learner, seeker of knowledge in Islam. Uh, and as we said, these are inshallah very concrete, things that we can easily apply into uh, our regimen and into our lives. So the next point that we wanted to talk about, uh, and this could definitely be, and we said this from the beginning, each one of these ingredients could become its own uh, lecture or series of lectures if we wanted to spend more time on them. Uh, but we're just uh, mentioning them very quickly, listing them so that our discussion of knowledge is complete. Um, so the next ingredient is the idea of being in direct apprenticeship with someone uh, and having the right association. What do we mean by this? So in part, uh, this could mean that you're finding the right person to learn from, the right teacher, the right scholar. But we're actually gonna go a little bit further than that. It's not simply the source of knowledge, it's the manner in which you acquire the knowledge from the person that you consider to be your teacher in any uh, given topic. 
uh, and the teaching and the learning does not stop at the teacher right so you do learn a lot from as we talked about from the discussions from uh, doing this type of studying and exploration of knowledge with others uh, and going through that you have to also recognize that you are learning from others so whether we're talking specifically about the teacher or talking about uh, someone with whom you are sharing and reviewing knowledge and discussing knowledge a lot of this is going to apply to it uh, as well and of course in there there's also the whole notion that we're not going to spend too much time on at this point the whole notion of humility right just the idea just the fact that you are willing to sit and listen to someone else to learn from them uh, to uh, basically put yourself in a position of a learner to a teacher in that type of relationship that takes great humility that takes modesty uh, and this is one definitely of the main ingredients of being a learner in Islam, being a seeker of knowledge. The idea that you are humble and this humility can never depart, can never leave you. Whether you have a little bit of knowledge about a topic or you have a tremendous amount of knowledge, the more knowledge you gain and the more of a specialist you become, as, as you increase in knowledge degrees and knowledge ranks, so should you increase in modesty and humility. And we're going to see that today, inshallah. We're going to see a hint of that. But this is a topic we're definitely going to come back to uh, a little bit later in the series. But we'll, we will touch on it uh, a little bit today. Because otherwise, the person who loses their humility just because they have uh, acquired a bit of, a bit of knowledge, uh, they've basically fallen into the biggest slip-up once you have knowledge. And this is mentioned again and again in the narrations. The importance of humility, the importance of modesty and fighting one's arrogance. Um, and this becomes the greatest obstacle to acquiring and to gaining more knowledge than we, what we already have. The moment that you start thinking that uh, I am satisfied and happy and I know everything that there is to know about a given topic, the moment you fall into this mode, that's when you start losing the passion and the drive to acquire more knowledge. Right, And so this is where uh, you have to uh, you know, put in the effort and the energy and kind of self-reflect and make sure that you never fall into this uh, issue of losing humility or modesty because you have acquired a little bit of knowledge. So regarding this first ingredient, uh, which we called kind of the uh, direct apprenticeship, so that you actually associate directly with someone to learn from them. Okay, and we're going to come back to that in a second. The Holy Prophet says, Sallallahu Alaihi in the first hadith that we have, Khudu al-ilma min afwahir rajal. Acquire knowledge from the mouths of men. If we want to be literal in our translation. So as opposed to what? Well, as opposed to trying to learn things on your own, or as has become, we might think, very popular in today's world, uh, but this has actually been popular for a very long time to learn, for instance, exclusively from books. I'm going to become a, a, a self-taught person, a, a self-learner. I don't really need a teacher. I can learn everything there is to know on my own. And this was actually mentioned in some of the narrations of the Holy Prophet, or at least narrations attributed to him. Uh, in one of them, for instance, he says, Beware of the carriers of the books and do not let the ones with scripts deceive you. Just because someone reads a lot uh, 
Just because someone is self-taught and they're in your mind there's someone that you associate with books and with uh, constantly being around uh, knowledge, this is not an indication that this person is actually knowledgeable and they have genuine knowledge to share about a given topic. Don't let that be the uh, manner in which you assess someone's scholarship. Right? And so this becomes, the, the question is very valid. Why would the Holy Prophet say, if you're learning, then learn directly from the mouths of men? Okay? So at one level, you definitely want to avoid hearsay. You definitely want to learn without intermediaries. You don't want to have someone tell you about something. You want that thing to be delivered to you directly. And so if you consider someone to be a scholar, you want that person to tell you directly and you learn from them. You hear it directly from them, not through someone's interpretation and not through someone's hearsay, an intermediary that will give you their own interpretation of what they heard. No, go and listen to it yourself and don't rely on that additional layer. You may get distorted information that way. Okay, so that's the first layer or a first uh, way to understand this uh, uh, hadith but there's definitely also a push here to be there in person and in fact anyone who goes back in the history of our religion and our tradition you see that the majority the great majority of our scholarship has taken place through this direct attendance in-person attendance this is traditionally how knowledge is passed down it is not passed down in books for instance and I mean, this could become its own uh, topic and its own lecture. And uh, there is so much that has been written on this in Islamic in the Islamic tradition uh, about the idea that uh, it's very dangerous to learn directly from uh, books uh, without having any proper teacher, without having someone from whom you are learning from their mouth, directly hearing it uh, and validating your knowledge back to them. This is what I understood. Uh, so if, did I understand correctly or not? And, and so on and so forth. Right. So, I mean, that is a, a huge topic uh, by itself. Uh, and today, this, I think, has been because of the accessibility that we have to knowledge and to scholars through these intermediaries and through this, uh, uh, the Internet and all the uh, other technologies that we have today. This has become a very um, popular means of acquiring knowledge. So people are constantly learning, but there is perhaps a lack of validation that what I'm learning I'm actually interpreting it correctly. I'm learning the right thing. And knowledge is not limited to just, as we said again and again, it's not limited to the information that you're acquiring. There is something more that you gain by being in the attendance of these people when you say that so-and-so is actually a scholar. Okay, and so if we are talking about religious knowledge specifically, because this can go beyond the religious knowledge, but here we're focusing on the religious knowledge, it, there is, in one way, you know, today we might say someone is a student of so-and-so, a pupil or a student, simply meaning that you attended their uh, uh, classes, their courses, and so on and so forth. But in another way, the truth is these ahadith, and if you go back on the, the, the way traditional knowledge was passed down, what you have is a relationship that was much stronger than just a student or a pupil. It was a relationship of a disciple. It was a relationship of a follower, right? And this is because what you are gaining or trying to gain from this person goes beyond just the information. What you're trying to gain is a certain approach to life. 
And of course, none of these people are going to be infallible. But obviously, if you're going after, especially for things as important as your religious knowledge, then if you're going after this person, you think that they also have the spiritual teachings that they can give you, in addition to uh, just the information that they have to share. There's a certain conduct. There's a, an expectation that this person is going to behave according to these teachings. And ultimately, because we're talking about religious teachings, we're talking about someone who is supposed to be ultimately bringing you closer to God. Having you become uh, in a place where your relationship with your Creator, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is much better. There's a spiritual, spiritual component to this. And so this is definitely good, not going to be limited to someone simply receiving information from someone else. Okay, and so this is where the discussion becomes uh, a lot more important in who do you choose to follow in this way? Who do you allow to influence you in this way? That you're going to say, I'm truly going to be a follower or a disciple of so-and-so. Because when we say student, you only think perhaps in, in, a, in our modern way of understanding the relationship, the student is simply the person receiving the information. You know, you, you attend, you listen, you're done, you move on. But this is to highlight the other dimensions of influence that this person is having on you, the good and the bad. So you have to be very aware of it and you choose appropriately, but also be sure that whoever you're letting influence you in this way, um, this is only going to happen. So hopefully we're focusing here on the good. It's only going to happen by being in a closer proximity to this person to actually seeing them in action. How do they talk? How do they behave? How do they interact with people? How do they act in day-to-day -day life and situations? The more you see of that, the more you're going to be able to properly assess the true scholarship of this person, the true knowledge of this person, which goes way beyond just the raw information that we have, right? So in addition to all of this, there are also components to this that are um, definitely uh, related to the knowledge itself. For instance, usually there's a lot of knowledge contained in books. But anyone who reads enough will know that uh, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of, a lot of ambiguity and a lot of things that can be open for interpretation and different interpretations. By having access directly to someone, this is a person who's going to be able to disambiguate for you. This is a person who's going to tell you, oh, this is what so-and-so meant when they wrote in that book. Or this is how you understand this verse. Or this is how you understand this law. Or this law, yeah, you understand it correctly, but it doesn't apply here. So all of this, all of the ifs and ands and buts are not going to be mentioned in everything that you're going to read. This is where the access to the scholar is going to definitely bring you a lot further in your understanding, even if you do want to do some uh, self-study. And as we said, of course, there's the other dimension, which is you actually see what knowledge starts looking like when it's personified. We don't say anyone is personifying it completely, but when it's actually personified, right? We keep talking that knowledge must lead to action. So what does this action look like? How does a person who have that knowledge, how do they actually behave? And this is, believe me when I say this, going to influence you perhaps a lot more than just the information that you're acquiring from that person. Okay, and um, what about the whole topic of self-study? Should we simply say we should not self-study? We should not read books? Are we discouraging people from reading or learning on their own without necessarily always having a uh, specific 
person that they can refer to as their teacher and they're in that type of relationship. So first of all, definitely not. Uh, and I think anyone who knows me will know that this is the opposite of what I think. And uh, I'm constantly encouraging uh, everyone to do as much reading and as much thinking uh, as possible on their own as well. But the issue is that uh, you do need basics because you do need a starting point to allow you to do some assessment of what you're reading. And so ideally, you would be in that relationship with someone and what you're reading is not random, right? You are getting some direction that if you want to read, this is where you should start. And over there, there should be, you know, a little bit of a warning that we don't take all of this as is. There are issues with that. We agree with this, we disagree with that. This is where you get a little bit of that direction that makes your reading and your thinking uh, uh, not simply a matter of uh, your own personal opinions, that it has an additional value and you're gaining all this insight and experience and expertise that this person has, even though you are doing a lot of the work yourself by doing the reading uh, and all of that. Okay, so the, the issue is sometimes if you lack uh, the basics and you don't know uh, you know, good from bad, and you're not able to uh, really determine the quality of what you're reading, this is when all sorts of stuff comes into your mind, and then you're going to have to do a lot of additional work later when someone is going to tell you that this actually does not represent what we believe in or how we understand our religion, for instance. Okay, and then there is also the whole notion of the types of books, and inshallah, in the future, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. The whole idea of when you read, you have to know what are you reading. So there are books, for instance, that are written by a scholar, a specialist, an expert in a field, and they are written to other scholars. They are addressing other scholars with those works. Okay, so that's definitely not an introductory work. They are showing their own caliber to others. They're discussing spe specialized uh, expert issues. This is perhaps not the best book to read if you do not have all the tools required to engage with those people at that level yet, right? This is not meant to be read by everyone. It's meant to be read by people who already have all of their basics and perhaps they have their own opinions about these topics. And so this person is going to share theirs. And so it's a back and forth. You know, each is going to have their own arguments. So if you're not already aware of the landscape of a specific topic and the knowledge around it, this is not the right book to read for sure. And this is where you need a little bit of expertise to tell you, you know, that's not, that you're not there yet, right? You need to go and acquire all the basics and understand all the issues first, and then you can go and get the, uh, you know, a more specialized works in a specific field, for instance. And of course, you have the scholars who are writing books or uh, doing writing that uh, is aimed much more, let's say, either at their own followers, so that's one version, uh, and in uh, other cases, you may have people who are writing to all, a scholar who's writing to everyone. So those have to be addressed or approached in a certain way too. And then you also have the non-specialist and the non-scholar, or the person who is not entitled to have their own opinion about this topic yet. Right? So they may write about it. Are they simply repeating what others have said? Are they taking something complicated and uh, simplifying it? That there might be value to that. Are they presenting their own opinion? If they are, then we want to make sure that this person is qualified to have an opinion in this field. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. Are they simply repeating, compiling and repeating what others have said? In those cases, you might be, you know, 
better off trying to go and read something a little bit more substantial uh, that is not simply a repetition of what others have said. Just go to the source and read what they wrote uh, initially and that's it, right? So there's a, a lot of uh, knowledge around all of that and this is part of the value that you get by associating to someone who knows the field. They're saving you all this time. They're telling you right away and of course you're allowed to form your own opinion about all of this eventually once you have the basics but you need to go and acquire the basics first and once you do then you know the uh, the sky's the limit go and read and uh, form your own opinions and come up with your own conclusions about everything that you are reading okay so are there guarantees when you start to follow someone you say okay this is my teacher and i'm going to follow them uh, and i'm even going to become a follower and a disciple and so on and so forth this is definitely going to be a very sensitive area, this whole discussion. Um, but there are no guarantees. We don't have anyone who's infallible. We don't have anyone about whom we know 100% that this, everything that this person believes is, is the absolute truth and everything that they're going to teach and say is the absolute truth and everything that they're going to do and all their personal opinions and so on and so forth. That simply doesn't exist, not in today's world. We don't have access to an infallible. Okay? What we have are indications that this person is going to bring us much closer to God. They seem to have a solid understanding of religion. And based on what we have access to, this is the right person to allow to influence us. That's what we want. Okay, so once this is said, and this is where I want to really make that distinction very clear. You have associated with someone. You have allowed that person to influence you that way. You also want to make sure that what you're following is not this person because of who they are as a person. What you're following or you're trying to get out of this person is the truth. To the degree, to the extent that this person is bringing you closer to the truth, then this is the part that you want from this person. And this allows you with much more objectivity to be able to assess in this case, you know, I know that this person is not infallible. I know that they might have their own shortcomings and their own weaknesses and they're not perfect. But I understand that what I'm following from them are those things that are bringing me closer to Allah and I benefit from them. So I focus on those and I take them. So that I don't allow the, everything about this person to influence me. Right? This is very important. And that's why you see on the one side, the Holy Prophet, he says here, you learn your religion from the mouths of men. Right? In the first hadith. Now notice the next hadith. The next hadith, and this one, we have it from Imam Ali alayhi salam. We also have it from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. He says, مَنْ أَخَذَ دِينَهُ مِنْ أَفْوَاهِ الرِّجَالِ أَزَالَتْهُ الرِّجَالِ وَمَنْ أَخَذَ دِينَهُ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ زَالَتِ الْجِبَالِ وَلَمْ يَزَلْ If someone, the one who acquires his religion from the mouths of men, those men will take him out of religion as well. And as for the one who acquires his religion from the book and the sunnah and the tradition of the Prophet, the mountains will move and he will not. What does that mean? The previous hadith was saying you learn your religion from the mouths of men. And now this hadith says do not learn from the mouths of men because if you learn your religion because of men, then because of those men or other men, you will also leave the religion. You will enter the religion because of men. If that's why you entered it, you will also leave it because of men. Why? 
Because in this case, you're not focusing on the truth. You are following the person. The person is not infallible. The person may make mistakes. What I'm looking for in that person, from that person, is to the extent to which they make me understand the book and the tradition. And that's why the, in the second part, the Imam says, and is if you are, what you are learning or what brings you closer to religion is the book and the tradition, then no matter what happens, nothing is going to take you out because you know what's in the book and the tradition. That's the part that I want from the men. If I start following the men for who they are, then the men will take me out of religion because no one is perfect. What I'm looking for is not their personal opinions. What I'm looking for is how much can they tell me about what's in the book, in the Holy Quran, and what's in the tradition of the Prophet. That's all I need from people. Right? There is no more following. The following is to the extent that I understand what's in the Holy Book. What did God say and what did the Prophet say we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to be. That's what I want from them. That's what I need from the scholar. That's what I need from the teacher. As for the rest, I always have my defenses up. I'm always ready to filter and assess and see everything that is being presented. Is it compatible? Is it aligned with the book and the tradition? In that case, great. This is bringing me closer to God. If it is not, I leave it aside. This is a personal thing that belongs to that person. As a person, and that to that extent, it does not really bother me. I leave it behind. I'm not worried about it. Okay, so this is what we uh, need to understand. And I thought it's important to at least quickly mention this. And I know that this can be a very sensitive topic, generally speaking, uh, in our religion. But I also think that if, and, and the second hadith especially is very, very well known, very popular. The, the first perhaps a little bit less, but there certainly seems to be kind of a contradiction between them. So at least this way we understand what each of them is focusing on. The first hadith, why is it important to learn directly from people and not through intermediaries and not just rely on yourself? And in the second hadith, to make sure that even when you are relying on people, what you're really focusing on is the truth. And everything else, you consider that a personal matter of that person and it does not regard you. It should not influence you. That's not what you're looking for and you do not allow that component to influence your life and influence your thinking and so on and so forth. Okay, and so the criteria always comes back to the Quran, our knowledge of the Holy Quran and our understanding of the Sunnah of the Prophet, the tradition of the Prophet, which means, you know, two brackets very quickly, which means that the better you know your Quran and the better you know your Sunnah, your tradition, the better you're gonna be able to assess people whether they are scholars or not, that's what e actually will allow you to assess people in life. Everyone you meet, you have a criterion that does not move, which is the Holy Quran and which is the tradition of the Prophet. The more you understand them inside out, and the more you can actually assess people and say, this person, yeah, this is someone I wanna follow. Because what they do is compatible with the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah. This is what I need. Someone else say, no, no, this brings me further away from what's there. I know they're contradicted. But you need that knowledge first. Okay? This is hence the importance of understanding what's in the Holy Quran and what is in the uh, Sunnah of the Holy Prophet So when it comes to people in general, we do not have guarantees. The only guarantee that we have is if we have 
the Holy Prophet, we have the Quran or the Sunnah telling us there is someone that has a guarantee. And that is only when you have an infallible. The truth is your ultimate criteria. Everybody is assessed against the truth. They, to the extent that they match it, we're happy to follow them. Right? Except if the person is, for instance, Imam Ali salam. That's why the Holy Prophet in Ghadi of Khum, he says, he gave a, that criteria specifically about Imam Ali. At the end he said, he explains or he justifies, why is it that I am appointing Ali as your Imam? He says, he is always with the truth and the truth is always with him. And he turns as it turns, or we say, or it turns as he turns. So in one meaning, in one interpretation, the Holy Prophet is saying, Imam Ali salam turns as the truth turns. Wherever, however the truth turns, Imam Ali salam is with it. Or the other interpretation, which is the one that our scholars say is the more valid one, it's that the truth turns as Imam Ali salam turns. Imam Ali salam becomes the personification of truth. And this is very important, especially during the end of the life of the Holy Prophet and as he departs from this world and everything that happens. Because this, the notion of truth that is supposed to be your main criterion, that is supposed to be your one absolute that doesn't change, became ambiguous. This is exactly what people started to lose track of and be unable to say, well, where is the truth so that I can assess people against it. So the Holy Prophet gave a criterion before that. He said, if you're ever in a situation where we don't know where the truth is, I'm going to tell you where the truth is. Look where Ali is. Ali is with the truth and the truth is with him. And they turn with each other. If one of them is turning, the other is turning with it. So all you need to know is, and we believe, of course, from the Holy Prophet and Imam Ali salam themselves, when they tell us all of Ahlul Bayt are the same. It's the same divine guidance, it's the same divine inspiration that they have. You want to know the truth and you're confused? Look for Ahlul Bayt. How would they act? How would they do in these situations? That becomes your criterion in life. Otherwise, and so I mentioned this, otherwise, when we're talking about everyone else, everyone else is fallible. Everyone else may or may not match the truth. So we're always looking for the truth. Okay, the next hadith that we have, I want you to look at these in combination. The first one has to do from the Holy Prophet ﷺ. He says, the Holy Prophet says, review, so he's talking about knowledge. He says, review and meet, meet together, and talk amongst yourselves and talk, for discussion is a cleaning or a polishing. Okay, and then he gives an example that the people of that time understand. He said, hearts get sullied or they get rusted as the swords get rusty. Their polishing is through discussion. You want to clean that heart, 
from the sulliness that is on it, the rust that is on it, you do that through discussion. You engage in discussion, you talk about it with people who are also in that knowledge circle until you clean that heart. Okay, that's the first hadith from the Holy Prophet As I said, I want you to combine these hadith together in your mind. So this one I think definitely highlights, and we started talking about this a little bit, the importance of the collective dimension in knowledge seeking. That it's not always all on your own in your little corner. You read and you study and you memorize and you learn and you attend lectures, and but it stops there. What you're learning, you need to constantly be discussing it, reviewing it and discussing it with others. Okay, and if you don't, the Holy Prophet says there's a rust that accumulates over the heart and the only way to get rid of it is through discussing these matters. You have to discuss it. That's how you get to the truth. That's how you polish it. Okay, and of course, I mean, I think it's, it's quite evident all of the benefits that we gain from discussing these things. So, of course, there is a component of it that is related to the knowledge itself, right? That it allows you to understand things better and deeper as you're forced to discuss them and you're forced to put words to the notions that you think you understand. Can you actually explain them with your own words? Can you talk about the topic in an intelligent, logical way or not? If not, then you perhaps don't understand it as well as you think you do. Okay, so that's one component definitely. But the moment you start talking about uh, the collective dimension, there's also a component of it, psychological, that is about the encouragement that you get. Of course, if, if I'm part of a circle, if I'm committed to a group of people who learn and who, when I learn and they learn, and I know that I have to discuss these things with them and they will discuss what they learned with me, of course, that's going to create a little bit of an encouragement, right? I'm constantly pushed. I'm pushing them and they are pushing me. We learn with each other. We compete with each other. And all of that is positive. That's all beneficial. And then there's a component that we perhaps do not spend too much time on, but there's a spiritual dimension to this, right? Coming together around knowledge that the Holy Prophet ﷺ is talking about. The moment you see a mention of the heart, always think spirituality. See what's the spiritual dimension to this. And perhaps in this hadith, it's not very clear, but it's there. The Holy Prophet is saying that there's a polishing of the heart that takes place as you discuss knowledge with others. But this hadith doesn't go in too much detail. That's why I said, let's look at a few other hadith. The next hadith, the Holy Prophet says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ يَقُولْ تَذَاكُرَ الْعِلْمِ بَيْنَ عِبَادِي مِمَّا تَحْيَا عَلَيْهِ الْقُلُوبُ الْمَيِّتَهِ إِذَا انْتَهُوا فِيهِ إِلَىٰ أَمْرِي The remembrance of knowledge between my servants brings the dead hearts to life. If they end up at my affair, the Holy, uh, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so long as you are talking about things that bring you back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that match the truth, you end up matching the truth in your discussion, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when these servants of mine get together and discuss knowledge, this is what brings their hearts to life. This is how the hearts, we're not talking about the physical organ, this is how the hearts come to life. This is how your soul comes to life. This is how your insight, your spiritual mind comes to life. That you get together, you sit and you gather around knowledge. And you talk about knowledge and you discuss it. And you go back and forth to see if you understand it correctly and deeply enough and so on and so forth. And of course here again you see the importance of the 
collective effort, you hear the spiritual dimension is a lot clearer. The Holy Prophet is saying you are coming to life or your heart is coming to life, right? But of course, notice the condition at the end. It's not just anyone getting with anyone talking about anything. It's that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what you end up talking about is something that brings you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the affair of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِذَنْ تَهُوا فِيهِ إِلَىٰ أَمْرِي Okay, the next hadith, also in the same line, Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam, he says, so Imam Ali alayhi salam says, دَعَانِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ فَخَلَوْتُ مَعَهُ فِي بَيْتِهِ فَقَالَ لِي يَا عَلِي أَنْتَ مِنِّي بِمَنْزِلَةِ هَارُونَ مِنْ مُوسَى غَيْرَ أَنَّهُ لَا نَبِيَّ بَعْدِي إِنِّي أُوصِيكَ الْيَوْمَ بِوَصِيَّةٍ إن أنت حفظتها عشت حميدا ومت شهيدا وبعثك الله يوم القيامة فقيها عالما So the Imam Ali says the Messenger of God summoned me so I met alone with him in his room so he said to me O oh Ali you are to me in the same rank as Harun was to Musa, Harun the brother of Musa was to Musa, but there is no prophet after me. On this day, I will give you advice that if you are to learn it, you will live a praised life and you will die the death of the witnesses and God will raise you on the day of judgment as a faqih, as someone with deep understanding and knowledge, what we would refer to as a true scholar. Okay, not a scholar because people are saying this is a scholar. No, a scholar because God says this is a true faqih. So what is this piece of advice he, the Holy Prophet is teaching Imam Ali salam? He says, Ya Ali. So it's a longer piece of advice, but this is the part that is relevant to us. He says, Ya Ali, إِذَا أَتَى عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِ أَرْبَعُونَ صَبَاحًا وَلَمْ يُجَالِسَ الْعُلَمَاءِ So, O oh Ali, if 40 days pass and the believer has not been in the presence of scholars, قَسَى قَلْبُهُ وَجَسُرَ عَلَى الْكَبَائِرِ لِأَنَّ الْعِلْمَ حَيَاتُ الْقَلْبِ The Holy Prophet says, if 40 days pass, O Ali, if 40 days pass, and the believer has not been in the presence of scholars, his heart hardens, and he will be more daring to sin. That is because knowledge is the life of the heart. What does it mean? So here what is implied is that this person is cut off from knowledge. This person is cut off from being in gatherings, being in situations that constantly bring the heart back to life. So what happens? What's the natural tendency of the heart? If you deprive it of this for long enough, the Holy Prophet here is even giving a clear marker. He says 40 days. After 40 days, that's it. It's, it's hardened. Okay, so you need to go back. And the more you can do of that, the more you keep the heart sensitive, the more you keep it alive in the spiritual sense, okay? So, of course, here there's a whole discussion that we can have about when Imam Ali salam is being told, basically, associate with knowledge, associate with scholars. We can have a whole discussion about which knowledge, and we're going to see a hint of that in a, in a hadith soon. So I'm going to leave that question hanging, and which scholar? And we're going to come back to the proper description of scholars in our religion, but we're also going to see a hint of that in a couple of ahadith. Okay, but this speaks to, of course, there's an individual dimension to knowledge that we've been emphasizing and focusing on and talking a lot about how important it is to manage your time and dedicate yourself and focus in your studies and take it seriously and all of that. But there's definitely another dimension here. Right? There's a spiritual dimension and it requires this association with those who bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that the heart does not harden and so that heart gets 
polished, as the Prophet said earlier, and that it comes alive. Okay, and of course here, clearly, we have a first description of the pro of, from the Holy Prophet, indirectly by corollary, if the Holy Prophet is saying, if you don't sit with the scholars for 40 days, then this is what's going to lead to a hardening of the heart. Of course, we need to understand that, therefore, the scholars, a true scholar is the person who brings back the heart to life. It has to be someone who is playing that function. They have to do that role. And if that role is missing, then this is not the scholar that the Holy Prophet is talking about. Okay? So, and the other component of this, of course, is that if we have the right idea, and if we have the right setting, and we, if we have the right context, then this should be happening on its own to a certain degree. If you have access to these scholars and you have good programs and you have good routines and you have uh, you know, a good schedule and, and good management of all of your needs, all of the dimensions of yourself, if all of that is there, then this should be happening without even you necessarily realizing it. If you have these kinds of people in your life, then those people are going to be performing that function on you, whether you're aware of it or not. Right? But because there's perhaps a scarcity of this, we have to go out of our way to make sure that this is actually taking place. Because the danger, as the Holy Prophet is warning, is, is not an easy one. It's not something that we should be okay to handle. When the Holy Prophet says your heart is hardening, and then you're going to be a lot more daring to sin. Well, this is perhaps one of the answers of, you know, one of the big mysteries we keep hearing about and thinking about and constantly getting questions about. Why is it that I cannot stop myself from committing the sins? How come is it? Well, this is one answer. A more spiritual answer from the Holy Prophet is that it's because your heart has hardened. And it has hardened because you're not surrounding yourself in enough for enough time, in enough of a context of an environment that brings your life back to, your heart back to life, to make it sensitive again, to make it alive again, right? So you're desensitized. And what's going to bring it back to life? This constant reminder that you're going to get from this person that's described as the scholar here, right? This is the function that this person plays. Okay, so one way perhaps we understand this, we're going to say, you know, uh, what I want to emphasize, this is not magical. Okay, this is not supernatural that the scholar is having this effect on you. We could understand it as, of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors certain people and gives them this blessing and so on and so forth. But there's a much more natural explanation that we can definitely have here. Is that this person is forcing you to think about your shortcomings. This person is putting the mirror to your face. This person is reminding you that this is something that you know is wrong and you're doing it. And this is what is right and you know it and you're not doing it. This is the function that this person is playing and this is what's bringing you back to life. This is what brings your life, your heart back to life. So it's not necessarily something that is entirely or only understood as being a superficial, uh, uh, supernatural relationship that you're having with this person. And so somehow they're kind of, you know, magically bringing you back to to life, spiritually speaking. Okay? So inshallah, we keep all of this uh, in mind, especially as the discussion will go towards, you know, how do we choose the right teacher and all of that. This is not the discussion nor the time for it right now. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he says, Qala Isa, so of course, as I said, these are hadith that I'm hoping you build 
on each other. You combine them together. The Holy Prophet says, قَالَ عِيسَى إِبْنُ مَرْيَمْ لِلْحَوَارِيِّينَ تَحَبَّبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَتَقَرَّبُوا إِلَيْهِ It's a long tradition until he says, قَالُوا يَا رُوحَ اللَّهِ فَمَنْ نُجَالِسُ إِذَنْ قَالَ مَنْ يُذَكِّرُكُمْ أَوْ تُذَكِّرُكُمُ اللَّهِ رُؤْيَتُهُ وَيَزِيدُ فِي عَمَلِكُمْ مَنْطِقُهُ وَيُرَغِّبُكُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَمَلُهُ The Holy Prophet says, Prophet Jesus, son of Mary, said to the disciples, Make yourselves more beloved to God and seek nearness to Him. Until He said, So they said to Him, they asked Him, Whose company should we seek in our gatherings? And He said, and He gave these three conditions. He said, the one whose sight, when you see them, whose sight reminds you of God. Someone that when you see them, you think about God. That's one criteria. The second one, and whose speech increases your actions. When they talk, they push you. They give you drive to go and do good. That's two. And three, and whose actions make you desire the afterlife. They make you think about what's waiting for you after death, not what's happening in this world. Everybody is reminding you about this world. Okay, three conditions. You want to look at this person. What comes to your mind when you look at this person? Prophet Isa says it should remind you of God. First criteria. When you listen to them talk, what do you want from this person? You want to leave with an additional drive to go and do good. And three, when you look at the actions of this person, what do you want from that? Prophet Isa says, you want someone to remind you of the afterlife. So what's waiting for you after you die? Your eternity, your eternal life. It has to be someone who reminds you of all of that. Okay, and so here, if you notice in the tradition of Isa the Holy Prophet is telling us, this is what he taught his disciples, you will notice that there's no mention of the scholar here. Of course this applies to the scholar, but it doesn't necessarily need to. This is anyone. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. Anyone who is going to meet these criteria is going to be someone that you want to allow to influence you. You want to open your life up for that person to influence you. This is what Prophet Isa says, so that we go back to the initial beginning of the hadith. He says, so that you make yourself more beloved to God. Right? It's someone who's going to benefit you in all of those ways. Now, it's not always going to be the most pleasant of things to constantly be reminded of your shortcomings and your weaknesses and the things that you have to work on. And it's almost like, as we said, you know, you have a, a mirror held to you and you see all of your flaws and you leave and you know the things that you have to work on and so on and so forth. It's like getting a kick in the, the backside all the time when you're seeing these people, right? And so some people are going to say, of course, this is exactly what I need and this is what's going to allow me to improve. And there will be people who want to leave that behind. They want to have a good time and they don't want to be living in that guilt and living in that situation that constantly forces them, I need to deal with this and I have to fix it and I have to get better and that's something that I do not accept for myself, I have to get rid of it and so on and so forth. 
right? So there are people who will use that and improve, and there are people who will try to avoid those situations, right? And so you see the next hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he says, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ the Holy Prophet says, there will come a time when people will run away from scholars as the sheep run away from the wolf. Okay? Of course, because they're not interested in what the scholar has to say. If you're constantly going to be hounding me and reminding me of all of this and I'm not getting to it, and you just keep going, well, maybe I'm going to be in a situation where I don't really feel like seeing you or hearing you or you know, knowing what you have to say as the Holy Prophet. So this will bring us back to earlier, right? When the Prophet said, and you do that for 40 days and the heart starts to harden, right? And then you become desensitized to sinning. So you will dare to sin and so on and so forth. So that becomes a cycle. So in this case, people will run away from the scholars as the sheep run away from the wolf. When that happens, God will try them in three ways. The blessings will be removed from their money. And cruel rulers will be given authority over them. And they will leave this world without any faith. Okay, and so we could spend a whole lot of time on all of this, but I don't want to. There's definitely, just to keep in mind, so there's a social dimension to this dynamic between people and the scholar. Okay, this is something we have to think about, especially when we come to think about community and what does it look like and how is it supposed to function and so on and so forth. Okay, here the Holy Prophet is highlighting something. It's as though the person with the knowledge is going to them, but we will see it's supposed to be the opposite, inshallah, later. Okay, but this is in a desperate case where the person of the knowledge is going to the people and trying to teach and the people run away from them. They're not interested in what these people have to say anymore. Okay, and so there are effects of neglecting knowledge and the people of knowledge. Yes, for the afterlife, but in this world too. Okay, that's the second point. And again, I think these are once again, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but these are once again natural consequences. We can definitely add a supernatural dimension to understanding this, but these are natural consequences of people who are not interested in improving, uh, not interested in becoming better, right? This is what's going to happen. They will be miserable in this life first, and then they will end up being miserable in the afterlife as well. Okay, so the conclusion from all of this, I think we spent a lot of time on this uh, fourth ingredient, and we have 13 ingredients. This fourth ingredient was that we want to make sure that we want to stay close to true scholars, and we saw a little bit of the description of who those true scholars are, and we want to also make sure that the people of knowledge in general are people who are present in uh, our lives. I'm just looking at the next point. I think I'm going to uh, stop here for sure. We don't have time to go through all of these. Um, so maybe very quickly, uh, we can look at a few hadith here. The acceptance of the truth. And that's a whole discussion that we can have of the ingredients of being a seeker of knowledge, a learner. If you do not have access to people who personify all of the 
good that you're looking for, then what do you do? Do you simply say, I only look for the people who not only carry the information I'm looking for, but they must also personify it with their behavior and with their conduct. They have to have the spirituality and they have to have the right conduct and ethics and morality that go with the knowledge I'm looking for. That's the ideal situation. That's what we're looking for in general. Because we're saying the moment you open up to learning from someone, and sometimes you're learning without even realizing, okay, you're being influenced by whatever you admire, what you listen to, what you constantly uh, hear about. Whatever you allow to influence you is going to influence you much more than you think. Okay, the moment you open up to that, you know that this is going to affect you much more than just the part that you're going to see, right? It's like an iceberg. You're if, if you respect someone highly, if you think that, let's say this is, a, I don't know, someone who has a lot of knowledge and you respect that knowledge and you're learning that knowledge from them, it, there will be a time when if you let that influence continue, you will start even uh, praising or high, holding in high esteem the manner in which they talk and they dress and they sit and they think and so on and so forth, you'll start looking at the other aspects of their personality which may or may not be worthy of your interest and your admiration and your following. Okay, This is just normal, natural tendencies of human beings. And that's why we have to be careful. Who do you allow to influence you? And are you really sure that this is only the part of influence that you're allowing? Or is there a lot more influence happening? Right? And so in an ideal situation, you're only learning from people that you're handpicking for this. But the truth is, there's a lot more of that happening. There's a lot more learning happening and influence happening than we would like to admit. Especially when you're in an environment where, you know, it's not a fully Islamic environment where everybody is holding those values that you hold near and dear. Right? So what happens in those situations? So this is where you see that we have so many narrations and even verses of the Holy Quran that basically say you have to accept the truth. We are seekers of truth. Wherever we find it, we take it. In an ideal situation, we'll only take it from those that personify everything that we consider to be good. But in a lot of cases, that may be too ideal of a situation. And so in those cases, we're going to take it wherever we find it. Okay, if I can pick and choose, I will pick and choose. But if I can't, I will still take it. I don't leave it behind because all the other aspects of the personality or that person is, uh, you know, uh, something that I, I'm not interested in. So I leave everything behind. No, no, there might be things that are still worth taking, right? And we see that the Holy Quran has talked about this and we've talked in the past about some verses of the Quran that have alluded to this indirectly perhaps. Right? We said, you know, you are all about the truth, the Qur'an says. He says, uh, Always follow the truth and always follow justice and always, it doesn't matter what other people are doing because we follow the truth. So maybe that's an indirect way of understanding it. But there are verses in, in uh, uh, Surah Az-Zumar 39, uh, verses 17 and 18. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about certain people, الَّذِينَ اجْتَنَبُوا الطَّاغُوتَ أَنْ يَعْبُدُوهَا وَأَنَابُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ فَلَهُمُ الْبُشْرَى فَبَشَّرْ عِبَادٍ And this is the part that concerns us. There are people who are going to shun transgression and cruelty and false idols. Right? اجْتَنَبُوا الطَّاغُوتَ أَنْ يَعْبُدُوهَا وَأَنَابُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ And they turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so this is the beginning of the verse. This is verse 17. It ends with فَبَشَّرْ عِبَادٍ So give 
good news, glad tidings to my servants. Okay, it just said who those servants were, right? But then the next verse gives a little bit more of an explanation of he, who these servants are. It says, Those who, when they hear the word, they follow the best of it, or the most beautiful part of it. Okay? And so there are people that are constantly seeking, are constantly looking for, not only the word. So what does the word mean? The word can mean, and here's the whole discussion between the uh, interpreters of the Holy Quran. Some say the word is the Holy Quran. So those who, when they hear the revelation, when they heal the verse, hear the verses of the Holy Quran, they follow the best. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Quran has everything in it. There are things in the Quran that are the obligations and the strict minimum. This is what you have to do as a strict minimum. But so, and sometimes the Quran says something is permissible. You don't need to do it. You can be much better than that. But that is permissible. Okay? And then there are those who seek a higher degree and a higher level. They want to be better. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So give glad tidings to my servants, the ones who when they hear the word, they follow that which is the best or the most beautiful in it. What's the best version of this? How can I reinterpret this in the best possible way? What is expected of me if I wanted to reach the maximum in this? Not the minimum. Not good or good enough. No, I'm going for the best. Right? Ahsana. So there are people who, and this is if we want to restrict al-qawl in the verse, the word, if we want to restrict it to the Holy Quran. But even that, there is no strong, clear case for it. So what this could actually mean is there are people, there are servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when they hear anything, when they are in any situation, they are always aiming to be the best that they can be in it. When you're presented with options, when you're in a situation and you have to choose, you are always choosing the option that makes you the best human being you can be. Those are the people that are described in the verse. And this also means that you are of those who are accepting the truth wherever it comes from. It doesn't say the word has to come from so-and-so. It says whenever you are presented with a word, you choose the best version. Whenever you are presented with options, you are choosing the best option. Those are the servants of God that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praising here. He says, give them the good news. Give them glad tidings. Bashar ibad. Al-ladheena I will stop here. Inshallah, we continue the next time we meet uh, when we discuss this series. So this is all the time we have for today, inshallah. We have a lot more ingredients related to the learner and the seeker of knowledge that we want to discuss. We will build on those, inshallah. And uh, in short, uh, inshallah, after we finish those ingredients, we will start talking about what we can call the manners of learner, uh, of the learner, the manners of the seeker uh, of knowledge. And uh, inshallah, you will take full advantage of the few weeks that are upon us. Inshallah, starting the next, uh, from the next weekend, we will certainly be in the holy month of Ramadan. So please uh, 
do everything you can to remember that you have a 30-day opportunity, so seize that opportunity. That is all I will say for now. Uh, and inshallah, see you all uh, for the series, inshallah, right after the end uh, of Shahar Ramadan. We will get back to uh, where we have left off. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin. Allah.